Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, this is Power Card, aka Project Pat. And you're listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, the best Ravens podcast on the planet. That's pretty incredible. In fact, it's La Marvelous. What do you all right welcome on back to another edition of the baltimore beatdown podcast little special edition coming to you guys here on a tuesday uh i'm not sure what the date is going to be exactly we are early in march here getting started on a little thing that we're going to be calling the beatdowns big boards my name is jake luke Joined in studio by the one, the only Spencer Nathaniel Schultz. How's it going, bud? Good. It's good to be here. Jake and I back in studio for the first time since COVID started. And we have good, we, it feels better. It feels more natural, more conversational when we're able to be together. So it's fun. I'm happy, happy to be here. Happy to be here in the Baltimore Beatdown studio again. And we can chop it up. Yeah, I have uh, lovingly dubbed it the Jeremy Butler Memorial Studio, which I think is a <laughs> A fitting title. It's going to be appearing on the screen here. If you're watching on YouTube, the boys are uh, having a couple couple Stellas here as we hop into, uh, like I said, what is going to be a very special episode. We wanted to do some draft content, uh, some deep draft content. We did plenty last year, but it was a lot of like just mock draft Monday stuff. Uh, <laughs> the world was in a very weird place. It still kind of is, but... Uh, it was pretty stock. It was pretty stock draft. It was pretty straightforward. It was, it was a little stock, but we, uh, you know, we powered through it and I think we did a good job. But uh, we're taking it even deeper this year, just like I think we're planning to do with a lot of the other aspects of the podcast. So uh, it's going to be a fun ride. You excited, bud? I am very excited. So again, we are going to be doing one weekly episode called The Beatdown Big Board. And what we're going to ask our listeners to do is join us on Twitter or Instagram following these episodes. That will be TBD. We'll make social media announcements exactly, but we're going to... Try and do a March Madness-esque style tournament to decide what Jake and I both like in the end as round value positions and individual players for the Ravens to target in this draft, as well as the fans. We're going to ask you guys to be going on to Instagram and going on to Twitter and voting for your favorite prospects. Those will be released after the episodes, and you can use these as a way to kind of dive into each position or as a way to kind of double check what you've seen, whichever you prefer leading into it. We're going to be going pretty far and wide with each positional group. At the end of the episode, we are going to be trying to choose our top four prospects at each position that Jake and I like. 
Uh, so we'll try and come to a little bit of a consensus there. Post those bad boys. Listeners, you guys go vote on them. And we're going to end up having a tournament at the end, right before the, on the week of the draft, somewhere right around there, I believe on the 22nd or the, or excuse me, the 27th, where everyone can then go vote and pick between the listener vote, Jake vote and Spencer vote on, on our own brackets, which you like the best and just give you some different ways this draft could go and trying to see some positional value and who the Ravens might be targeting the first round, second round, things like that. And while we're not able to actually tell, it's fun to do so. We love the draft content. We love the draft coverage. And we're excited to have something interactive for our listeners to engage with leading up to the draft. It is fun. And I think it's going to give it that sort of depth that we uh, we tend to bring to other things. I think kind of letting our own personality show through our own kind of uh, humor and whatever it else it might be is a big part of the show and other aspects. So I think this is going to be the best way to do it in a really informative but also fun and interactive way. I got to give you a lot of credit for paving the way on uh, getting us started on this thing. And uh, without further ado, we are starting. You're always telling me how much you like to edge off air. So we're starting with the edges. Uh, <laughs> that was really mean. Uh, start, <laughs> starting with the edges. So the first word that comes to your mind regarding this edge class is what? The first word that comes to mind for this edge class would be uncertain, I think it would be, because there's a lot of prospects that have production, but not certain traits, or they have production, but not a size threshold, or they don't have production, but they're supposed to be complete workout freaks, and they are are technically refined player who just couldn't get home. Uh, I don't think there's a consensus guy very much so at the top. I think there's a lot of disparity in the middle rounds as well, or the middle tiers of these edge rushers. So I think uncertain. What about you as you've been watching? I kind of thought deep a little bit. Um, not deep as in the sense of like, I'm a really deep guy, which I am, as you know, obviously. But uh, deep just in the sense that it feels like there was a lot of guys. Like, I know last year you had Chase Young. You had even some guys that kind of went a bit, little bit later that were impact guys on day one. I'm not sure like how many guys you know, are there like that. And obviously there's not going to be a Chase Young in every single draft. And there is certainly not in this one, but I just watching these guys and like, granted, like, obviously we're going to get into this. I'm not as trained of an eye with an egg with edge rusher, edge rushers, excuse me. But I feel like there is like a certain situation where you can like sit down and like watch a Chase Young and be like, you know, I, I know that guy's going to be an impact guy from day one. I didn't really get that vibe with like any of these dudes, but a lot of them, it's just like, and again, we've talked about this, this is an, another thing where like we try to look at the positives of guys and what they can do. So maybe like that's my own bias creeping in where I'm like trying to look at these guys and see what they can do and see the positives. But it feels like a lot of dudes that if things break right, they could be really good. Right. And looking back to last year, just before we get started in the edge class, I think that's a good way to, to try and break the ice initially. Uh, so obviously you mentioned Chase Young, then there was Kalevon Chason. A.J. Epinesa, Yutura Gross-Matos, Terrell Lewis, Julian Aquara, John Greenard, uh, Darrell Taylor, Curtis Weaver, Josh Shea, and Alex Highsmith, and a bunch of other guys that were splattered around there. And when you go back and look at how their first year went, really there's only two guys, I think, that made a real impact and felt like a quality player. Uh, and really only one of them started, and it was Chase Young and then Alex Highsmith in Pittsburgh. Clavon Chason 
had a, a similar year to Patrick Queen, I'd say. A lot of high-impact plays, a lot of rookie growth moments, things like that. Yotur Gross Matos showed some flashes, got hurt. AJ Epinesa kind of started to crack the rotation in Buffalo. Feels like he's a little bit of a weird fit right there, or there right now. And then Terrell Lewis worked his way into the Rams lineup into a pretty heavy rotational role as well and looked good. But yeah, like you said, not a ton of depth in last year's class, but there was a superstar talent in it. And I think this class does lack that. Definitely. How are you feeling about like the way the the media is perceiving it so far? I feel like we talked about that a little bit before we got going here. And uh, I don't know, like I mentioned Greg Rousseau is like the guy that I was seeing as the top guy. And you're like, eh, I don't know. I feel like uh, Queedy Pay and we're going to get into all this, obviously. But how are you kind of feeling about the way the media, the, you know, the DJs, the Matt Millers, all these guys are sort of slotting guys in and around the board? I think they're looking for fits very much so and looking at different teams to try and figure out where these players could go. They would maximize them because there are a lot of kind of non-scheme versatile guys, it feels like, where there's a lot of 4-3 DNs, a lot of uh, guys who are a, an outside linebacker, like a guy like Aziz, Aziz Ajilari, probably not going to be a hand-in-the-dirt guy playing that role a ton. So you, then you kind of rule out some teams. So I think not so much trying to rank them and stack them as much as find a good fit for them, which is probably a more accurate and effective use of time when trying to think about prospects in general. But overall, I think that the media, I think I use the word uncertain. I feel like a lot of people are uncertain on how to stack these guys. And uh, like I said, there's, there's no guy who's had two years of nine plus sacks. There's, there's none of that in this class uh, unless they were playing at a, you know, pretty lower level of uh, they weren't, there's no big, there's no power five guy. There's no chase young who put back to back dominant years together or uh, anything like that. So I think uncertain still, I, I feel like that is, how this edge class is. Well, as we've seen from uh, every email that we've gotten from like Macy's over this past year, we're living in very uncertain times and Macy's has our back. But I think that's uh, a, probably a good way of putting it and a good way of tying it in because I feel like in that respect, like you say uncertain and like everyone's using that to describe COVID, but obviously the tie in there is that I feel like COVID has caused a lot of that with a couple of these guys even missing seasons. In fact, a lot of them. So like it's kind of weird looking or at Or short seasons, really short seasons. Quiddy Pay, for example, played four games. Yeah, exactly. So it's like you kind of look at that and it's like, yeah, that's another sort of wrinkle it, you know, wrinkle in it all. And that's not just unique to this position, as we're going to see with all the other ones that we go down the line with here. But uh, it's a very, very interesting sort of draft season for sure. It's going to be maybe the weirdest one that we've ever seen, even counting last year. Last year, we at least got a combine before the world shut down. We are not getting a combine this year. So pro days kind of already starting to kick off a little bit, which is kind of fun. Uh, so we're going to be seeing a lot of that kind of stuff. And I'm sure that agents, uh, the shitbags that they are, are going to be doing what they can to get their guys out in front of cameras and do what they can to try and raise their profile. So it's going to be really fun in that respect, I think. I agree. And it's a unique time. The pro days, the agents are making their money this draft season, trying to get guys out there, make sure that they get their medicals checked and all that good stuff. So it is going to be weird. And guys are going to be going off of tape more than ever. Uh, there was an interesting article on PFF about kind of trying to – reduce noise out of pro days and and they ended up finding the pro days are pretty consistent with times uh, a little bit more so than than expected but again you know right now you're hearing exos is having all of their guys the training facility the trainers the training camp whatever you want to call it is having all of their guys do mock combines and then they're releasing times from them and it's like well yeah i i see that you know absolutely guys are capable of dynamic athleticism but are, are we sure that the the training facility who's getting paid to make sure this player's stock is through the roof, isn't putting a little extra butter in the pan. 
in terms of these numbers and things like that. So it's interesting. But then there's the, the things like jumps and bench reps and stuff like that. And uh, those are definitive. Those have an exact measurement that is defined and easy to see and, and is going to be the same in Indianapolis as it is on Mars. Well, gravity aside, but uh, you get the point. So interesting draft time. Pro days bigger than ever. The Senior Bowl was a really, really big event in terms of getting those measurements out initially and things like that. And it is just kind of weird that the Combine's not happening in traditional form because they played an entire season. They played college football. These guys are working out and doing all this stuff. I don't, I don't understand exactly the downside of doing the Combine as opposed to the Pro Days, but I guess they just don't want a big gathering in Indianapolis, what have you, and the NFL just wants to Which, shout out to well. March Madness, which is going to be going on in Indianapolis in March. Right, so there you go. <laughs> I guess, I, yeah, I don't know. If you can limit risk and, like, obviously, like, the Combine, like, there's a lot of the stuff that you can just get from Pro Days, and everyone loves to poke fun at the Combine every year anyway, which I think is pretty stupid. I think you do as well. We've talked about that. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to be missing it. I'm going to be going to be missing the journalists talking about their uh, late-night escapades over at St. Elmo's Fire, getting a couple cocktails in them. Just a fun time of year, and, uh, you know, hopefully one day we'll be going to the Combine in some capacity and uh, enjoying it because it does seem like a low-key, very fun event on the calendar, but not happening this year. And at the end of the day, there are inevitably guys that go to the combine, dominate, and raise their stock. And a guy like we'll get into that. We have an entire segment of that, but there are guys that that's going to happen for. And it feels like you'll still get a little bit of that at pro days. I guess pro days will just be taken more seriously, and guys will be trying. Scouts and teams and coaches will be trying to take these times as seriously as they can, make sure they're as accurate as possible and uh, trusting their instinct there. But again, for the second straight year, kind of the tape, even more so this year, is going to be ultimately what impacts stock. So it's going to be interesting. And last year, there were less drafted players than there ever were that didn't attend the combine. And now that feels like that is a little out the window now, which is better for smaller school guys and FCS guys and things like that. So Hopefully those guys are able to get the proper exposure. Remember Bill Belichick going out to uh, Middle Tennessee to scout a edge rusher who didn't get drafted and personally work him out as opposed to I think attending the combine if I'm not mistaken or that's just a like big that. look at me move by Belichick though like he loves like acting like he's you know Mr Hip and Mr like I don't know about Facebook and Snapface and Insta Snap and all that stuff. It's like Bill, we know you know what you're doing. We know you're like hamming it up for the camera. Let's calm down a little bit. Love, love that about Bill. Love that about. I Bill. do too. To be honest, it's it's a charming quirk of his, and uh, I enjoy it. But uh, I guess before we jump into these prospects proper, what is the one thing you've been doing scouting even professionally uh, going back this past year? So, what is one thing that you would like to impress upon our uh, our great audience here about scouting the edge position? Scouting the edge position, I look for explosiveness get off on the line of scrimmage. And there's a difference between that and snap anticipation guys that, and if you are just trying to do it through video, if you just slow, take a, take a play and slow it down. You want to see the guy who's out of their stance first. And that is going to create problems. Yannick Ngakwe always out of his stance first. When you look at whatever team he's playing on Jacksonville, Minnesota, or Baltimore out of his stance first, every single time he has the most ground covered and he is raised in an athletic stance, ready to run, ready to rock, ready to hit before anyone else. Uh, The other thing is being able to stack blockers, whether it's tight ends or offensive linemen, especially it comes in so important in the NFL and in modern football in general because of RPOs and things like that and how high the play action usage is. So being able to lock out your arms with leverage 
and then read, is this a play action? Is this a run? What is this? And have control of the blocker is so incredibly important. Um, And then of course, containing the edge goes hand in hand with that. Having control of yourself, having control of what could be coming at you and looking out for misdirection, reverses, you know, bootlegs, things like that, not taking yourself out of the play and giving up easy throwing lanes, easy scrambling lanes, uh, all those different things. And I, I think I just like guys who play under control a lot of the time. And that's why a guy I really like is Quiddy Pay, who we'll get to, but he is a dynamic, he's a perfect example of someone who has insane explosive athleticism, but he doesn't always use it. He doesn't have to run the fastest, hit the hardest every single play having control of when to click, when to close, and things like that. And that comes overall with football intelligence and just making sure you're not taking yourself out of plays, executing your assignment. And that's going to be across all positions, always not taking yourself out of plays, executing your assignment, being able to help your teammates and doing your job uh, overall. And and there's things guys can work on, you know, pass rushing moves, pass rushing repertoire, having different moves, things like that. Those, Those things can be worked on and developed a little bit, but those will separate someone who's ready to make an impact now versus someone who needs a little bit of time and might need to be in a rotation and spend time with the coaching staff and get coached up who isn't going to be able to instantly beat NFL offensive tackles or uh, you know even tight ends right now just because they might be kind of a guy that really runs fast and hits hard and that's all they've got. Um, so I, I think that is the, the spice on top that makes quality impact players is being able to basically go outside through a blocker or inside, having that three-way ability where you can threaten with speed, threaten with power, and threaten with what I like to call pass rush karate, hand fighting inside, being able to counter and, and do all those different things. So uh, I think a big part of that is playing under control. So those are things that I definitely look for. Uh, and then being able to cover a little bit, that makes you versatile. Being versatility, being able to move. Is this a guy that, you know, we're going to stick his hand in the dirt. He has no experience dropping into coverage ever. Uh, you know, a team like the Minnesota Vikings, they're never going to ask their defensive ends to drop into coverage. They are going to pin their ears back and rush every play. Then you have the Baltimore Ravens, who we cover. And they're going to ask their outside linebackers to do everything possible, set the edge, play the run, stand up mugged over the A-gap, and drop into coverage. So uh, that's that goes in hand-in-hand with fits, which we'll get into as well. It is a position where, like, and I've been doing a little bit of a crash course, like I hinted at, I'm not super, you know, refined on the nuances of what I'm looking for, but I do think there are some things that you take to innately watching it. And for anyone listening to this, I don't want to discourage you from watching it. I would say hop in and watch some of these guys and kind of follow along with us because it is a fun learning process. And you've sent me some literature on kind of what to look for and things that, uh, you know, you should be kind of using as your terminology. And for me, what I think it's kind of come down to is exactly what you're saying, where it's a position where there's so much discipline involved in it, even though a lot of people tend to just think like Chase Young, Jadavian Clowney, uh, Miles Garrett, line up over a guy and just beat the shit out of him. And the thing about those guys in particular is that they possess the athleticism that they can make plays other guys can't. They can be wrong and still be right because they can recover, they can change direction quicker, and those kinds of players are not good examples for someone who's going to be in the third or fourth round of what you want them to play like. Yeah, a lot of decision-making. Like, there's a lot of, like, do I go this way or that? It's not just, like, all right, I got to beat this guy, like, one-on-one, and that's the end of it. It's like, and but which way do I go to try to beat the guy? Which, like, way do I go if I got beat? What do I do if I got beat? Do I just get washed out of the play? It's, it's a really fascinating position the more that I watch it. Right, and the critical factors that you want to look at are just general pass rush ability. How do they win? Why do they win? When do they win? First step explosion is part of that. Get off, simply, uh, as well as setting the edge and strength at the point of attack. And that doesn't mean, like, there's a guy, Hamika Rashid, 
Jr., who he is small. He is undersized. Is that, so is that the pronunciation? Hamika. Okay, so it's not Hamilcar. It is not Hamilcar. No, it is okay. not a car made of ham that is ill. That's unfortunate because I was we were discussing in the chat that uh, I just figured that his parents were big fans of both Hamilton and Cars. I'm preferable to Cars too, but shout out to Luke Wilson and shout out to Alexander Hamilton. Shout out to or, a man. Uh, Owen Wilson. Pardon me. Shout out to his family. <laughs> uh, yeah, but a guy like that, he can shoot his hands really well and get control on the edge. Uh, we're also going to be looking for uh, motor, pass rush repertoire, bend. Hand usage, play strength, range, the ability to play on special teams. A guy like Tyus Bowser, he didn't has never gotten a ton of playing time still. He had 500 snaps this year. That's, that's heavy rotation snaps. That's not starter snaps. But he's been involved on special teams for four years. And special teams, being able to come in and play, especially for UDFAs, but overall guys in the middle and later rounds, are they going to be able to come in? Are they good in the open field? Can they run in a straight line fast? Uh, are they good open field tackler? Do they hustle every single play? A guy like Joseph Asai, he is the best motor I've ever seen in my entire life. He's going to be able to play on special teams because of that motor. Uh, Chris Board, look at him. He's worked his way into the Ravens starting lineup as well because of special teams ability. So something you do want to keep an eye on when you're talking about later round guys, especially toughness, tackling, discipline, and range. Are they a chase down guy? Are they a pursuit guy? Jason Awa out of Penn State. He can run guys down. He is fast. So all those different factors, those are kind of the overall things you want to look for when scouting an edge rusher. It's funny you mentioned those two guys because those were the last two I watched uh, today, actually, and I didn't even write anything down on them, but Osai in particular is a, uh, that guy's a tank. But uh, He runs hard. He does. Uh, so I guess without further ado, then we can get into it. So we got a couple categories here, first one being workout warriors. And so to define that, it's kind of pretty much just like it sounds. And you hear about these guys that do go to the combine, like we talked about, I guess it's just going to be pro days this year or whatever it is uh, that they're going to be doing. But uh, guys who basically, you know, they test really well. Maybe there's some questions about their technique and uh, kind of their finesse, but just physical beasts. So who do you think are the top guys that are hurt by the lack of the combine this year? I think that Quiddy Pay might not be hurt because I feel like everyone already kind of knows what he can do. He had this legendary three cone. Uh, I think he ran like a six four five, something like that. Insane, one of the fastest three cones ever. It's on camera. You can see it. People have tried to like time it themselves based on the footage and there's software that different teams and things have that can do that. SIS does have a software that does that kind of thing. Uh, he has done, I've seen ridiculous feats in the weight room as well him holding a 250-pound kettlebell and doing sit-ups with it, all kinds of different ridiculous stuff. He has the explosion explosion with the quickness and the agility as well as some straight line speed. So I think that he would be able to run well. I think he would be able to jump really well. Jumping is indicative of explosion, of being able to generate force with your legs and fly through the air and relative to your size. Uh, so I think Pei shows that very, very much so. And all of those different factors, I think that he is certainly hurt from it. Another one is Aziz Ajalari, who he set his high school, Marietta High School in Georgia, a powerhouse football team. His little brother actually just broke this record, but he set a he had a 300 and I think 35 pound power clean as a high school senior. And he also won Georgia's uh, award for outstanding weight room player. He was their most dedicated and impressive weight room specimen, but he's an undersized guy. So... That was incredibly impressive to think. He is power cleaning well above his 
peers and things like that. He is able to take on guys like uh, Deontay Brown and, and Alabama's offensive line and able to kind of set the edge and do some things despite being smaller. Uh, but I don't know if he would have run really well. Uh, and then Jason Awa as well reportedly runs in the four threes. That's something I've seen. He's apparently under 240 pounds or was at one point in the last couple of years and has been timed at Penn State running in the four threes. So I think those are three guys that would be able to show some impressive numbers in the weight room or impressive numbers at the combine. Definitely. So looking at what I wrote down for pay, I guess we can kind of contextualize this against like you're somebody who, like I said, you know pretty much way more what than way more about what you're talking about here than somebody like me who is still kind of learning it. So what I wrote down with pay is that He's really powerful. I didn't really see a ton of especially dynamic moves. It kind of felt like a lot more of a straight rush. And just he definitely won a lot that way, but that was more of what I saw, if that sounds right. He is extremely powerful. He sets the edge incredibly well. Has a Tight ends are practice dummies to him. When he shoots his hands, they are nothing. They are a coach holding a pad that gets popped. Split zone blockers, uh, tight ends that come against him, Penn State, I think it was Fryermuth tried to split zone him. Fryermuth is a good blocker, and Pay ran directly through him, put him on his back. And speaking of putting him on his back, I've never seen Quiddy Pay on his back before. He plays with that control and that balance. He is the one putting guys on their asses, not the other way around. Uh, I think that he was hurt by only playing in four games this year, very, very much so. Against Minnesota, he goes on this incredible tear, has three sacks, two in three plays at one point, uh, was lighting them up in all phases. Minnesota did have a tough year, but they generally have an okay offensive line. Uh, They're an offensive line school, but he showed more quickness playing at a a stand-up three-tech and five-tech, able to kind of win with some first-step agility. Uh, and he has some underrated hands, but he, he doesn't string moves together. Like you said, he's a straight line player and he is seeking to be efficient, use the burst and get off that we talked about, use the explosion out of his stance and do one move, use a rip or a swipe or a chop, or uh, I did see him cross chop one time, the, the classic Ngakwe move, the classic Chandler Jones move, but he is not stringing together a club and a swipe and a chop. That's not his game. His game is direct, efficient, control, power, and explosion. And he does have an incredible amount of speed for his size. I, I mean, I think he's, he, to me, he's the guy that I'm most confident in to be a really good run defender, a borderline elite, elite run defender, and have good ability to rush the passer. I think he's like a, 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 a an A-plus run defender, possibly, and a B-plus pass rusher right now. But he also played out of a stance that was really strange most of the time. Uh, it was kind of like a frog. He was in a four-point stance where he put a ton of weight back, and it looked like he might have been kind of sh- trying to shoot out of his stance that way. But I think it limited his get-off. It limited his explosion. But it did allow him to stack quicker that way so that he could explode up and through blockers. So I think that was maybe Michigan asking him to do that so that he would be able to control guys and be a more reliable run defender on his side. Although we did see him in some two-point stances, some three-point stances. Out of a two-point stance, I saw the best get off. And everyone's kind of slotted him in. Oh, he's got to play for the Vikings. Oh, he's got to play for, you know, a, a Matt Patricia kind of defense where he's a hand-in-the-dirt defensive end. I don't find that to be the case at all. I think he sets the edge incredibly well. I don't think he has to be a one-gap player by any means. I think he's pretty scheme-versatile in those senses. Um, and he's a great tackler, really strong tackler, really good pursuit. So Quiddy Pay to me, 
he didn't have a 10-sack season. He had six and a half, I believe, in 2019, and then I think only had two and four games this year. So the production's not there. I think that production is something that really does translate for pass rushers. Guys who had a lot of sacks in college at, in Power 5 schools with traits tend to do the same thing in the NFL a lot of the time, especially interior defensive linemen. But uh, on the edge, it's not always that way. But uh, not quite the production you would want to see. But it, you see all the traits. You see the workout stuff. Uh, you see him being a, a team captain and things like that. So Quiddy Pay for me, he he is my edge one. Uh, I'm pretty confident, and I don't think that's going to change. Uh, although Jalen Phillips is a close second. Yeah, Quiddy Pay, great backstory too. Definitely check that out if you don't have a, a or if you do find the time to do so. He's a, a really mature kind of kid who uh, is taking care of his family and uh, seems like a guy who, like I also wrote down, is not going to fail due to a lack of effort in the league. So, uh, oh, well, the other qu- I had notes on him too. Does, I'll just rattle off a couple. Go for it. Uh, he tackles can't recover and wash him around the arc when he tries to run around the edge. That reminds me of Terrell Suggs. How Suggs was big with great get off, and he had crazy. He was just more athletic than tackles, but wasn't small. He was a big dude and more athletic than the tackles. Are you saying he was just simply built different? Simply balled so hard. Simply built different. Trademark. Uh, so Suggs would would test the edge with get off, and tackles would try to. A lot of the times, you can see tackles really wash a guy out and push them past the arc, and then the quarterback kind of just slides through it, and you know it does affect the That's pocket. It's the most a frustrating bit. thing as a fan, like when you're watching your defense, like, and it happened a few times with the Ravens this past year. So. A ton. It happens a ton. It happens all the time with the Ravens. Um, they do try to coordinate stunts and loops off of that a little bit, but that's that's why Yannick Ngakwe was interesting. He was always going to run the arc and always going to force the quarterback to move but not always hit him or get a sack or something like that, something Ngakwe's done for a long time. But like I said with Pei, tackles can't bully him. You can't wash him out. He is too strong. His core strength is too much. His balance is too good. He is never out of balance, never out of control in that sense. Uh, I mentioned that he collapses pullers and split blockers. If someone tries to pull into him, he folds them back in, and then the run has to get bounced to the outside if it's an inside concept. The one thing, though, was that he can be indecisive. He has really short strides, short footsteps, until it's like the running back is on the perimeter and he has to go chase them down. Then he opens up and he's kind of fast. Like I would think 4-5 might be in his wheelhouse, 4-6 definitely. So initially, though, his, his steps are a little indecisive sometimes. And on stunts, he is super indecisive. He kind of was like trying to, he uses his hands and starts trying to wade his way through uh, traffic and try and find a lane. But when you watch a guy like Joseph Asai, who we'll get to, that's one of his best attributes is that he is like a shark on stunts. He picks a lane and flies through at 100 miles an hour and a lot of times obliterates quarterbacks that way. So I think the short steps and indecision on stunts kind of are two areas where pay could improve. Definitely. He's uh, he's really, really fun to watch. I would recommend checking him out if you have not already, like we said. But uh, as far as um, these pro days, like we mentioned, they've kind of gotten going. Who are some guys that you think will test unexpectedly well at them? I could see Jalen Phillips testing really, really well. Uh, he tested well back in high school. He was the number one recruit out of high school in the 2017 class, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, has a story where he, he goes to UCLA as the number one recruit in the nation and has some concussion issues. He never really plays. He ends up being, I think he's the best pass rusher in the class, really dominant uh, rhythm-wise, all kinds of things. But he has great get-off. He has this great rhythm to him. He's super bendy, great hips. I think you would see good movement skills out of him at the combine. I think he would run a good three-cone. And 
uh, able to, to do some things that a lot of guys in this class can't. I think he's the most talented pass rusher in this class, and I think he would test really well. Another guy is Jordan Smith out of UAB, who is a really obscure prospect in many ways. He's six foot six. He has crazy, crazy, crazy length. He's the fastest player I've ever seen on the defensive side of the football who is six, six or taller. His pursuit is a bullet shot out of a gun. So incredibly fast. I think he would run really well. He was only 235 pounds, I think, entering his junior season. He was originally a Florida commit who got dismissed from the team on a him and a couple of guys had some credit card fraud thing go on. That's sick. Some classic, you know, broke going to college when you're 18, scheming some yeah, stuff that's, up. Yeah, that's guy stuff. You got to pay the just bill. Guy, bill just guy know? stuff. But, uh, yeah, he, he got dismissed from Florida. He went to JUCO and dominated there. Goes back to UAB. Uh, the fat, He, he kind of reminds me of Alden Smith. He doesn't have really any power aspect to his game, but the lateral quickness, his ability to ghost and dip around the edge, things like that, I think he would run really fast. I think he would benefit from the combine. He is lighter, so I think that he would be able to test well and do some different things as we're trying to get a good bio on Jordan Smith, and we got some some weird names coming up, a very common name, but uh, he's another one. Jason Awa as well, like I mentioned, was supposed to run 4-3. I think that he would have had an outstanding pro day. Uh, and I could see Joe Tryon out of Washington just being fast, looking really good in movement, uh, being able to cover, being explosive. We could see him having a good 10-yard split, three-cone time, and some of those things. So I think those are a couple of guys that would have certainly benefited out of the combine. Yeah, man, I uh, try and I definitely want to talk about it at some point. I really love that guy. Uh, but yeah, those are some really interesting good names, I think. Uh, as far as, so here's my thing with um, with Jalen Phillips. I'm really intrigued by him. And like, what's interesting to me is you had Russo there in 19. Mm-hmm. He doesn't play this year. Phillips comes over and he literally just looks exactly like Russo. I think he wears the same number and everything. This yeah, past they both wore 15. Yeah, they look exactly the same pretty much to me. And like Russo's maybe a little bit taller and like longer, but he's not quite as refined. So it's kind of an interesting thing. So I guess the, the last sort of question that we have for these workout warriors category is physical freaks who you kind of think need the technical work. And I might put Russo in that category. I don't know about you. Um, I think I put Russo in the, I don't think Russo would be a workout warrior. I don't think he's, he's a really, I think for his height and weight, he is, he, he, he's like, he almost kind of reminds you of a leaner Calais Campbell back at Miami, which is being a towering guy with good hands. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. I didn't love his get off. He had, he plays with his length though, in such a great way. Like, his arms when he's like recovering on a running back, he just like reaches out and snags a guy. Or like, quarterbacks that run away from him and they start to gain on him and then he just shoots 10 and a half feet across. He just like jumps. Like he's just like extends himself out like a wacky uses, waving inflatable arm flailing tube. Man. Uses his length so incredibly well. Uh, but I, I'm not quite sure on him as in the workout warrior side. Dalen Hayes, another one I think that could possibly be a workout warrior type of guy. Uh, I see some... sim. I, the Ravens have, and we'll get to best fits of the Ravens, but the Ravens seem to have like a threshold of their outside linebackers in this 3-4 system, uh, these stand-up guys, and it's like 6-2 to 6-5, usually not taller than that, not shorter than that, somewhere around 245 to like 270, 275-ish, usually on the bigger side, especially like guys like Judon, McPhee. They're like Paul big Kruger. guys from big schools a lot of the time. Judon not really in that category with the But he's a, well, he's a big dude. Judon, yeah, yeah. Was, Judon was 
275 at his combine. I think ran like a low 4.7. Yeah. But it's kind of like DNs that are a little bit fast, and that's the Ravens kind of type. I think Dalen Hayes fits into that category. He was just under six foot three at the Senior Bowl, 261 pounds. But you see speed and you see coverage ability, uh, things like that. I, I could see him having some good times at the combine. He seems to have flexibility, but doesn't know how to use it. He's a very interesting mid-round guy to me. For sure. So I guess that covers the workout warriors for the most part. I'm sure we'll touch on maybe some more guys as we move forward here. But moving into our next category, which a little bit of a shout out to MLB The Show. I kind of base these on like the, the video game archetype where like you pick a player and it's like what archetype do you fall under? And in MLB, if you choose to be pitcher, which uh, I've got a nice little pitcher save that I'm working on right now. Hell yeah. Control Freak is one of them. So for me, it was kind of the, the only way I could really describe what it's kind of the opposite of the workout warrior in this case, where it's a guy who's maybe not going to test well, but he has all the sort of technical tool set that you need as a pass rusher, good hands, kind of choppy feet, able to you know make magic on stunts here and there. Uh, who are some guys that you think uh, may not test great, but they do have that uh, proverbial toolkit? The number one guy for me, there's two, but the first one that comes to mind is Quincy Roche out of Miami. Not a fast guy. He He's fucking slow, I'm going to be honest. He, in, in a straight line is not fast. He can't chase people down in the open field. He does play under great control, and he finds his way. He is always backside. He knows that he's slow, and um, I, I, you know, I played freaking high school football. I was not a burner. I had some speed, but when I started playing some back, some weak side defensive end my senior year, and there was a strong side run, I knew that I could catch motherfuckers if I went right upfield. And that's what Roche does. He plays the cutback lanes. He plays that back hip and knows how to force guys to the sideline. Plays really well considering his lack of speed. Um, he doesn't have, he's a snap snap anticipation guy. He can get good jumps because he has to, because he is not an explosive athlete, but his hands might be the best of anyone in this class. He also couples it with really, so despite not being a phenomenal athlete, Arguably, maybe the best bend in the class at the same time. He can make himself so small. He corners really well, gets underneath guys on the arc, but then also has the inside counters. Uh, the interesting thing for me is that in Miami, and this is another thing with Jalen Phillips as well, who I would also put, I like to say pass rush, black belt, you know, karate, pass rush, karate, whatever, the hand fighting aspect. Him and Jalen Phillips both never tried to use long arm bull rushes. They very rarely tried to just drive through blockers. But then you saw Roche do it at the Senior Bowl, and you also see Roche do it at Temple, when, where he played his first three seasons. He was the AAC Defensive Player of the Year in 2019 at 13 and a half sacks. Definitely could have gotten drafted last year in the middle rounds, especially in a weird edge class, it feels like. But goes to Miami, looks apart, has a really great game against Clemson and Jackson Carmen. Uh, didn't have an amazing game against... I'm slipping my mind. He had one kind of, uh, Christian Darasol, Virginia Tech, really handled him well. Uh, who, a guy who is also a technician and a really great athlete at left tackle. So that's where you could kind of see Roche just had to play conservatively. Uh, a lot was asked of him in the run, but a guy who I don't think tests very well and I think is a great fit for the Ravens. I think is someone that you can put into a rotation quickly. He almost picked off Trevor Lawrence on a great spot drop. He did actually line up off sides, I believe, on the play just a little bit. But it was just like Tyus Bowser against the Browns. Perfect 45-degree angle spot drop. Trevor Lawrence thought he could sneak a ball over there, and Quincy Roche gets his hands on it, has to kind of roll to the ground and can't quite corral it. But does some nice things in coverage. Undersized guy, maybe six foot three, 240 or kind of the... 
the reported weight and height around somewhere in that range, maybe six, two and a half, maybe six, three, uh, 235 to 250, somewhere in that range. But doesn't lose against tight ends, doesn't lose against tackles. No one moves him off the ball. He stacks really, really, really well. And like I said, he knows he's not a great athlete, and that makes him a better player in ways that he has to be. He doesn't try to run through guys or, or use crazy get-off or something. That's not his wheelhouse. He knows it, and that's why I like him. It's a similar way to, and that's why I'm glad we're using the word technician because it kind of reminds me of like with slot receivers where they're called a technician because they have to win with like... Cole Beasley. Yeah, exactly. They have to win with technique. They're not beating guys one-on-one. What I wrote down with Roche, athleticism doesn't jump off the screen, but there's not a ton of drawbacks to his game. It kind of feels like a master of none type situation. I do think he's a master of his hands though. That's okay. the thing. So if he didn't, if he wasn't so advanced with with swipes, with rips, with you know clubs into rips around the corner with that. I would not like him as a prospect. The I got only, some uh, I got some Doomerville vibes from him, like older later stakes Doomerville, if that makes sense. Able to able to win, you know, he he kind of just surprises you with how he can win the corner and and get such a strong flattened angle to the quarterback. And I think that is he does have a trump card, and it is his hands slash flexibility, being able to couple the two of them together. He has inside counters, so I'm pretty comfortable with someone who can go inside, go outside, and play against the run well. I think he should be a medium, a guy who gets 300 snaps his rookie year. I'm completely comfortable doing that with a guy like Roche. I'm comfortable with his game. I trust him against the run. I'm comfortable with him on third down. But there are going to be, like, Ronnie Stanley, he's not going to fucking beat Ronnie Stanley. That's not going to happen. Not that anyone really does. Tunsil, uh, Bakhtiari, those kind of guys, I think he has some trouble with. So that's why I think he's a heavy rotation guy at best. Not, uh, you know, come in, draft him in the first round or draft him high in the second round and expect him to be a starter type. But I think he is so smart and so savvy. He will find his way. He will work hard and he will ultimately end up being a guy that you can rely on in defense and be a starter, but maybe never, you know, a, a high impact guy. So looking at guys like us, obviously that is an absolute unicorn of a human being. And maybe I should have opened with this question and maybe it's a little too general. So I apologize if it is, but like, how would you define necessarily like athletically limited at the edge position? Cause it seems like it's a lot of unicorns who like who is athletically limited. So like, how would you define, like if you were to look at a guy, like you say Roche is athletically limited. What about him is like athletically limited? Do you think just, is it just the speed and just kind of the I size? Think it's, I think it's just being on, uh, I think it's, he can't jump. I don't think he would jump well at the combine. I don't think he has explosive muscles in his lower half um, that allow him to to really explode off the line of scrimmage. Uh, I don't think he possesses innate strength overall. Like him and Aziz Ajalari are probably the same size. Aziz Ajalari's get off is fifty times quicker than Quincy Roche. Mike Mayock and Chris Sims are always talking about ass. Yeah, they're just yeah. big ass guys. Like, yeah, and that's I feel like that's a big thing. Bubble for butt. Yeah. You want a bubble butt for sure on a, on a for a pass rusher. Um, Sizzle, Sizzle had a booty. Sizzle's going to go get after it. Those guys, and especially because they do need to be beating offensive tackles with athleticism, they are going to have to have horse-like quads and massive, massive legs, a ton of power to be able to stack and hold ground against guys that are inevitably going to weigh, you know, 50 plus pounds. Terrell Suggs would ragdoll guys. Sizzle was probably 275 at his heaviest maybe 280 really late in his career, but he was ragdolling guys. And it's just being lean and strong and just being literally built a little bit different. Um, And, you know, like there's a guy like Boogie Basham who I see on your screen right now as well. I also consider him athletically limited in speed, but not in that strength. 
So there are, yeah, certified thick is that the was, first that thing. That was the that, first thing I wrote, certified thick boy. Exactly. He looks that part of someone that's going to be able to attack that way, but you don't end up seeing him use strength as a pass rusher quite enough and things like that. But Boogie Basham has a great build. Or I think it's Zadarius Smith, man. Zadarius Smith is a big, hulking dude. Um, and that doesn't always mean strength. Size isn't strength, but it, it often is at this level of football. Uh, and I just feel like get off, you can see. A guy who's threatening the edge with simply just speed. Uh, and and there's guys that are smaller, like in Gawkway, they're doing that. But then there's the Miles Garretts of the world, the true freaks, where he is built that way and he you can see it in the speed that he possesses. Uh, so it's that initial quickness, that initial explosion out of a stance. And that's why Quiddy Pay's stance bothers me because I want to see him able to explode as well as he can and utilize that aspect of his game. Definitely. And I'm glad you mentioned Basham there. Uh, because it feels like he's maybe going to be a guy who's not going to be threatening in round one. Roche might be a round one to two guy. Uh, as far as these technicians, like... Who Boogie are, Basham's another guy, I think, who who isn't going to be a combine guy. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what right. I was thinking. Like, I wrote down... I don't, I don't know if I even wrote this down, but it feels like he's a technician in his own way, where he's got that big old butt, and he's just a big kind of bowling ball. But Thick dude. Yeah, but he's more, like, technical than he might appear uh, on the surface there, which I think is really interesting. And I think he is a guy, and I'm curious about what you think other guys might be some good mid to late round options for the Ravens. Mid to late round options for the Ravens. Like I mentioned, Jordan Smith. Uh, one of my favorites is Janarius Robinson out of Florida State. He has a, a 36 inch arms, 30 or 85 inch wingspan, six foot six. He's fast. Uh, he sets the edge really well. Makai Becton in 2018, or tw- excuse me, 2019, completely obliterated him. Um, probably the worst I've seen someone get dominated of any of these games I've seen, aside from maybe Tevin Jenkins against Joseph Asai this past year. Tevin Jenkins had his way with Asai very much so uh, as well. But Janarius Robinson stacks really well. He uses his length really, really, really well. He has the pass rushing moves and tools to be able to, to rip around the edge. He can counter inside. He has a really nice long arm bull rush. Um, long arm bull rush, my two favorite moves that I think if you can do these two things well, you will be able to be a six sack guy who can start in a defense. It's being, I mentioned being able to stack and having some get off, but then if you can long arm bull rush, that allows you to go inside or outside with a free hand still, and also able to corral blockers or corral a quarterback with your, with your outside hand or push pull, meaning you can lock out with a guy, they lean into you, and as soon as they lean in, you break their arms or you rip their jersey to the ground. A snatch is breaking their arms or simply pulling them to the side. That is how you simply shed blockers. That's something that I've seen Janarius Robinson do. I think he had a strong senior bowl. Another really tall guy, him and Jordan, I, I like him a little more than Jordan Smith. He has more of a power aspect to his game. He's not quite as fast, but I think he fits the Ravens really, 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 really well. But as we mentioned, he doesn't fit that size that the Ravens so often have. It's usually a guy six foot three, six foot four, maybe six foot two, Bowser, McPhee, um, Kruger, Adelius Thomas might have been like six foot five. Suggs was about six foot five, I guess, as well. Uh, so maybe that's not always the case, but lately it has been. Uh, I, I just find Janarius Robinson to be someone who didn't have a ton of production, but all of the traits are there. All of the technical ability is there. He doesn't string moves together very quickly. It's like he he locks out and he thinks to himself, like he's in such control, he then finally thinks, oh, I could rip right now. And then he rips and then he wins. But the quarterback has had the ball too long at that point. So I think speeding up his pass rushing process would be outstanding. 
Um, he was really fun to watch at the Senior Bowl. Great against the run. Hits like a brick shit house. If he is in the open field, oh my God. If he gets a square shot, oh my God. He will put his helmet through. He will create a hole in someone's chest. Uh, I can't. What was their movie where that happened? It was like a 90s movie. Someone shoots a perfect center. It was like almost a cartoon-like thing. It was like a... Like with a gun? Or? Yes, they shoot with a gun and there's a perfect center and someone like looks through it and they look at it and then they die. I'm going to have to... That's not... That's going to come to me eventually. Are you Listen, thinking of Brick Tamlin with the trident or... No, I wish. I wish I was, but I'm thinking of something that's going to bother me for a long time. It's like a... Listeners, please help me on this. There is a perfect really wide circle as if someone like drew a perfect geometric circle through like the stomach of someone and they like for some reason i feel like i know what you're talking about but it was some movie that was like on tv all the time but i can't think of the name and it wasn't that popular (laughs) so it's like it's really narrows it down there gonna bother me for a long time i'll figure it out eventually but anyway he puts a hole in guys uh right through their chest but makai becton completely and utterly ragdolled him but he did that to literally everyone and continues to do so in the NFL. So it's you, you now can have uh, a way to measure that, which is why Alex Leatherwood, everyone thought Alex Leatherwood was this very elite offensive tackle, first-round guy, really high prospect. And so when a guy like Aziz Ajilari was whooping his ass when Alabama played Georgia, you're like, oh, wow. But then Alex Leatherwood goes to the Senior Bowl, and everyone whips his ass. So it was like, mm, okay, maybe Alex Leatherwood isn't what we thought he was. Speaking of Ajilari, I guess that mostly covers it for Control Freaks. Uh, and that moves us into our pretty much our last category here, which I have dubbed Winks Warriors, which I think is uh, hopefully an apt title for top overall fits within the Ravens defense. And you mentioned Ajulari there. He's a guy who I think he was the first uh, player I saw mocked to the Ravens this offseason proper. I think it was DJ that went ahead and did that. A uh, guy that I went back and watched. And talking about those video game archetypes, if you were playing Madden in like 2011 and you were to get Aziz Ajulari on your team, I feel like he would be the linebacker that has the cover too because he's just kind of dropping back, doing flat coverage type stuff a lot. And uh, it feels like in a draft class, it's a lot about the guys that are just setting the edge or just rushing after the passer. This is a guy that does a lot more. He is really interesting. He looks so small. He looks like he's 220 pounds. He's listed at like 240. Uh, he's weighed in a bunch of different times, well above that. I, I've seen him joking around with another prospect that I absolutely loved heading into the Senior Bowl in his first couple of days, as well as when I've been watching tape, which was his teammate Malik Herring. But they always joke and say that, well, I guess Malik Herring always says, Aziz Ajilari is made of vibranium. He is so solid for his size. It is kind of an anomaly. Um, he has pretty good length. When he goes into the slot, he freaking bullies receivers off the line. He like shocks them and tosses them aside. Uh, really slow, really, really slow in the open field, kind of like Quincy Roche, pretty disappointingly slow. But you see him spot dropping. You see him playing well against the run. Um, he stands up. He's very comfortable standing up. He sets the edge pretty well. He uses his length pretty well. And he fits in that size threshold, I feel like. He is a little bit light. For all we know, he could be. He could weigh 255 pounds right now. We have no idea. Patrick Queen ended up going to the combine and weighing 230. Everyone thought he was like 217 or something. Um, so guys know how to put on weight the right way and stuff like that. But it doesn't really matter if you play with strength. And I think he plays with strength. Like a guy like Kalevon Chason was not as strong as Aziz Ajilari at all while he was at LSU. Ajilari is a young prospect as well. So you think he fills out a little bit more as a man. Uh, I think he he definitely does make sense. And I feel like you like Ajilari a lot. I do. He's a guy who uh, I think is really intriguing. He's not going to be 
like I said, he's not going to be that sack number guy. I don't know if he's going to be that double-digit sack guy, but like if you're talking about letting Judon walk, which seems like that might be a uh, distinct possibility, it feels like he's a guy that you could sort of plug into that role and allow that to happen. And you mentioned uh, just sort of stats and production, uh, particularly in bigger conferences transferring over. I'm looking at the stats right now from 2020. Eight and a half sacks, four forced fumbles, and 22 solo tackles in the SEC. That feels like a good uh, sort of prognostication. And only the SEC. Yeah, and that feels like... <laughs> And like the limited schedule or whatever they had going on, like that feels like that translates well to the AFC North. Right. Another guy, William Bradley King, who I don't think a lot of people are hip to. Uh, I covered Baylor for Sports Info Solutions this year, and he only had three and a half sacks, something like that, I believe, this year. But he transferred from Arkansas State, same kind of deal as Quincy Roche, a completely dominant player in a smaller conference transfers, doesn't have the production necessarily, but playing a new defense, playing a different role, um, incredibly, incredibly incredible. He's a guy that I would have mentioned in the, uh, we had the control freaks. Uh, I would have mentioned him in the control freak section as well, but we wanted to move on. Does everything, spins, rips, swims, uh, chops, strings moves together, bull rushes. Well, he's a perfect tweener size for Wink. He's that exact weight. He's 255, 260, six foot three, six foot four, sets the edge well, really stout run defender. Um, Sometimes he can lose the ball against the run just a little bit, but he can beat guys in every possible way, every single move, every single way. Um, He's not going to win with just get off. He uh, isn't really going to ghost guys or anything like that, but he will rip the edge and he is strong enough to win around the edge. Uh, I think he's a strong run defender. I think he's a high ceiling player. He reminds me of Alex Highsmith last year, very much so, but with more length because that was a big knock against Highsmith. I I see him being a similar player and just making plays all over, making plays against the run. I think you can have him possibly in the fourth round, maybe third, fourth round. Who knows how it's going to go? Last year humbled me a lot. Guys went and last year's draft was weird. Maybe COVID threw it off a bit, but weren't really able to predict guys the same way I exactly thought. Happens to everyone, man. The first 10 were super stock, and then after that, it was a real crapshoot. King, I'm comfortable drafting him at the back end of the second round. If the Ravens took him at 57, I'm like, okay, I saw that on tape. I like that. I think I might be the only person in the world that says that right now, but I've watched every single snap this man took the past year. I know that he didn't have great production. I like him a lot. I think he's a good fit in the middle rounds. I already mentioned Dalen Hayes. Uh, and then I think two others would be Chris Rumpf as a super late round guy, really undersized, but a blitzing kind of maniac, a coach's son, uh, had an outstanding 2019, a disappointing 2020. And I think I already mentioned Hamika Rashid Jr. or Rashid Jr. Uh, he is a little bigger than Chris Rumpf, plays similarly, bends, stacks well at the point of attack, covers. He's really good in pursuit. Uh, I think he's super, I think he'll be a good Tyus Bowser replacement. Uh, he's a little, maybe even tinier. Bowser has got Python arms, like more stout than people give him credit, but I think he can do some similar things in coverage and then has enough juice to win kind of like Bowser and be a rotational player. Absolutely. So a couple other guys I did want to touch on quickly before we kind of start to wrap it up. Uh, Patrick Jones to the sequel, uh, out of pit. I thought he was a pretty interesting player. Wrote down length, strength, read and react, plus, 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 as what I liked from what I saw from him. Reminds me of Pernell McPhee a little bit. Yeah, that's a really good comparison. I said speed and first step off the line and power, not only in one-on-one situations, but when you think he's washed out of a play and then he recovers out of nowhere. A couple plays in a Miami game that I watched on YouTube that you could probably find pretty easily. Uh, You wouldn't think his bend is kind of off the charts with the frame that he has, but I saw a few plays where he used a shoulder dip move that I really liked. 
I wrote motor is great, but could use some discipline on it when trying to finish plays. That's something that we talked about uh, as far as like discipline with watching the position. Uh, and then I, I said, want to see more from his hand technique, uh, a few examples of him just kind of getting locked into an arm fight and an extended arm stalemate type thing. I, re I was intrigued by Patrick Jones. He is a badass. He's got a lot of strength. He had a really horrible senior bowl. It was like shocking. I swear to God, his cleats were not right. He was just slipping, falling. When you watch him play, kind of similar to, similarly to Quiddy Pay, usually he's the one putting guys on their asses. He's not falling a lot or getting put on his butt. The senior bowl, he was just a mess. All three days, I, I swear it was his cleats. It had to be something wrong like that. Made no sense when watching the tape. He didn't play in a small conference or something like that. He played in the ACC, had good production there. Um, I see that he has only, I don't think he's ever stood up, but again, he reminds me kind of like a Judon, kind of like a Pernell McPhee, where it's that D end that you just stand up and they're just a kick-ass edge setter. I could see that definitely being him. Um, who else have we got? Other guys in this class. I wanted to talk about Joe Tryon. Let's talk about Joe Tryon. I feel like you're, I feel like he's definitely in your top five. Yeah. A guy that I just like kind of watched today on a whim a little bit. Uh, but again, really, really intrigued. 6'5", 262, I've got written down. Uh, and just a guy with, it seems like a great profile, great, solid all-around player, as I wrote here. But I think he was kind of hurt by a 2020 opt-out. I feel like he might be talked about as a first or second round player if he hadn't. Uh, good stand-up and hand-in-the-dirt player, I wrote. Fast off the line, strong at the POA, which is point of attack. I'm starting to become a lingo guy. Uh, uses his stutter steps and stunt moves to get around guys. So like, it's kind of a thing where he not only does like a head fake, but he's like faking with his legs and like stunting and doing that kind of stuff. He's also dropping back into flat coverage. A like lot. He drops about. into coverage a lot. Yeah, we talked about that with Audelary. He's doing that. He's also like standing up at like inside linebacker. He is fast though. He is. Tryon is fast, athletic. Like Audelary just plays the flat. I am willing to let Joe Tryon start covering some backs and being in that Bowser role. He is actually a really good Bowser replacement. I just wrote that like watching him, it fired the imagination for me. Like my synapses were firing watching him. I you saw like, possibilities in the Ravens defense. Exactly. And like, that's something that to me, like, uh, I don't know. I just feel like if you can see more possibilities for a guy jumping to the league, particularly in a year where he had to sit out, I feel like that's a, a pretty encouraging sign and something where like this guy could maybe wind up being a steal because he doesn't have any 2020 tape. You know, he's playing at Washington and, I, and he might be rocked. The, that's the thing. Him and like Greg Russo could be rocked the hell up and have improved a ton in getting their their frame right and you know kind of balancing out their their athletic athletic ability i would expect them to because like miami and washington are some badass programs and like they're not just like sitting you know on the couch and eating potato chips they might be in the gym or like doing what they need to do and exactly it's they've got smart people around them try on so. for me has a good balance of ability athletically technically and then hustle he is a high uh, you know, the iron is hot, the iron, excuse me, the iron is red with some hand fighting ability and, and then also having get off a little bit of size and, and speed. I think he has a good marriage of the three meta aspects of playing edge. So he's a guy that I, I really, really like. Sounds like you do as well. Anybody else that you want to hit on here? There's Ronnie Perkins out of Oklahoma. Uh, Perkins has a long arm bull rush, but doesn't Dak as well as you'd like to see. I can see him being a stand-up player a little bit. Uh, Peyton Turner out of Houston is six foot six plus, 270 pounds, uh, plays pretty violently, kind of got tossed around at the senior bowl a little bit, but an interesting player as well. Uh, Rashad Weaver is 
addicted to spinning. He loves to spin more than anyone I think I've ever seen in my life, not named Dwight Freeney, especially at his size. He has a filthy spin move. Really good against the run. Um, mm, he, he, uh, it, I think people are really low on him. I'm not high on him, but I don't think he's like, I think on the draft network, he's like 230 overall prospect. I see him as a mid-round guy that can get sacks and play the run okay and at least be a rotational guy early in his career and would not be shocked to see him starting by the end of his rookie contract or something like that. Uh, who else do we have here? Then there's the Chauncey Golstons of the world, a long kind of three-tech, five-tech, maybe could play a little bit of edge, kind of like a Jihad Ward a little bit. Um, who else do we got? Rashad Cam- Weaver was the only other name that I had written down. What do you have on Rashad Weaver? Give me give me what you saw on Rashad Weaver. 6'5", 270 out of pit, long and athletic. Weaver does a good job staying balanced and popping off the line with his first step. Powerful, powerful rusher who uses his height to create leverage and drive the pocket backwards. Definitely more powerful than he is fast, so kind of that slow but like powerful type deal. A lot of people say he's a slow – I've seen slow burn pass rusher. Yeah, kind of. It felt like he has a plan, but like he's just not getting there super quickly. Um, so I liked the production I wrote down. So you think down. he's a little limited athletically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I wrote down seven and a half sacks in 2020, which I like. Uh, looking for a little more variety in the game, though. It kind of just feels like you're stacking on top of a guy and just moving forward and like doing the forklift thing. A lot uh, of boring reps. Like Vince Wilfork did to Brandon Moore uh, on the butt fumble. He just <laughs> forklifted him and then just shout out to Chris for an amazing call on that. Uh, so I said, didn't see a ton of creative hand usage or bend to beat guys, but he does seem to have the motor to be able to come into the league and compile sacks. It'll just take some development before he's able to get into double digit territory, if ever. And then let's just round. I like that a lot. I think you hit all those on the head perfectly. Uh, then let's just round out the group. I'm going to hit on some quick points. In line. We didn't talk about Osai extensively. My number one question, Osai, how old are you? Joseph Osai, where in the world is Carmen de San Diego? How old is Joseph Osai? He has publicly declined to give his age. Which is sick. Yes, but it obviously means he's not 20. He's not 21. I think he's, he's a redshirt junior. A little bit of an I am 12 situation, you think? Yes, right on the card there, I am 12. Uh, he has to be at least 23, is what I would imagine, if he declines to give his age. He is a red So his backstory, junior. he's like he's from where, Nigeria? Either Niger- He's from Africa. I can't recall the exact country. Either Nigeria or like Sudan. Let's not bungle this. I'm going to look it up. Yeah, look it up. Uh, I think if you look up his like origin, like put the word origin in, it comes right up. Gotcha. So I've even watched this video. Nigeria. Yeah. yeah. So he was born in Lagos, Nigeria, lived there until his family moved to Conroe, Texas in the United States when he was 10 years old. So when was that? Who could possibly say? Because we don't know how old he is. Click on the reference in the in the Wikipedia. Click the citation of it next to 10 years old. It has the, the number. Right here. Yep. And then go through that. I'm going to talk about him. See if you can use that number and see if you can find his age and then do the math. Faith family, the deciding factors for New Texas commit Joseph Osai. So that was from 2018 when he committed to UT. See if you can, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about him a little bit. See if you can hunt down his age somehow in that. If that's a, no, that's just a short page. It's not even, yeah. It looks it's not like even like an might have been page. taken down. His age is up in the air. That freaks me out. He was a one year edge player. He played inside linebacker in 2019 and prior I think they put him on the edge at the very end of 2019, and he played against Georgia in a bowl game and dominated. Um, he has a really weird two-point stance where he keeps his elbow in super tight like he's just going to hit into a pad. I think it's maybe to try and force him to stack because he might not be kind of used to it. He is another kind of weird player. I don't think he would run very fast at the combine, but I think he is somewhat explosive off the line of scrimmage, pretty explosive off the line of scrimmage. 
I think he has really long arms. A lot of people, I've read scouting reports and people say he does not have long arms. I don't know what they're talking about. I talked about how much I love long arm bull rushes earlier. I've seen him do it, I think, three times. It has worked every single time. He has driven guys right back, maybe because they're not expecting it against him or something, but long arm bull rush works for him beautifully. Has get off, can corner, bends the edge. And like I said, the best effort so I've ever seen. So here's the thing with him that I really like, and I hope this is not a Jack Reacher, but like it says here, and like I, I knew this like going into watching him, he grew up playing soccer. I feel like I can tell that watching him play. He has a really good spatial The awareness. hustle too. Yeah. Like a midi. Yeah, he's got like great spatial awareness, great hustle, kind of just plays to the whistle every time. It he knows comes. where the ball is going to – once the play develops, he knows where the ball is going to be, takes great angles. Yeah, so I really like that about him. Great motor, great hustle. You know, he might <laughs> – He's never out of the frame. When you're watching either All-22 or a TV broadcast of him, he is always in the frame unless it is a 50-yard pass downfield because that motherfucker – sprints he might be listen ball. he might be 30 i mean we're <laughs> i've been telling you to watch everybody wants him for a while there is a uh, storyline about a player who's like 30 years old and he's just like it's it's set in 1980 so he's just like going around the country like pretending to be like a 22 year old grad transfer like playing college baseball so it's you know it could be something like that potentially i i don't know i think he's 23 years old okay he um, looks young he i'll give him that he is he is definitely rocked up though he's a jack boy uh hits square hits hard hits through and Tevin Jenkins, a lot of people give him kind of shit and they use that Tevin Jenkins film, rightfully so, to say how dominant Tevin Jenkins is and kind of how raw Joseph Asai might be. Put him on the ground a couple of times. He's on his ass too much for me. He's on the ground too much for me away from the play. He stumbles. He doesn't quite have his feet under him. Um, There's a violence that he plays with that I think entails kind of that happening a lot. Yes, but he's out of control at times too, which, which worries me a little bit. He... Gives up cutback lanes, try, like third down and five. He, It is a wise thing to run an inside zone that you can bounce to his hole, like to the C gap or the D gap, because he will run arc really hard and not respect that. But on first and second down, he stacks and has the edge really well. But like I was saying about Tevin Jenkins, at the end of that game, after Tevin Jenkins kind of beat his ass, I think he had three sacks in that game that were, one of them is on Tevin Jenkins, which I'm going to mention. The other two came against the left tackle. And... On the final play of the game in overtime, he, after having Tevin Jenkins bully him for five quarters, however you want to call college overtime rules, for a full four quarters and whatever. Penalty kicks. PKs. He, Spencer Sanders, the quarterback, starts to kind of roll left a little bit. I think the pocket was supposed to move. So I don't know why Tevin Jenkins would have just let him go that way, but he whooped Tevin Jenkins to the corner, ran right by him, and then chased down and caught Spencer Sanders from behind, lunged at him, Greg Rousseau style, tripped his feet on the la- on fourth down in overtime and won the game with a sack. Uh, ma- maximum effort. And I think the Ravens, more than any team in football, will look at his effort on a football field and be like, let's get that guy and work on him and coach him up. We love that. The rallying to the football thing. The story about, I think, Terrell Suggs being told, you know, you got to run faster to the ball by Haloti Nada. Or maybe, uh, no. Must have been Haloti Nada told that by Terrell Suggs because Nada yeah, was drafted in 05. the other way around. Yeah. Yes. Um, Haloti Nada, high, high effort player, Terrell Suggs is like, you're not running the ball fast enough. He's like, what? Everyone's always told me that's like the best part of my game. Um, so I think that the Ravens would appreciate that aspect very much so. The rawness is there, but rightfully so after only a little bit over a year as an edge rusher. So I have trouble slotting him like what round i would be comfortable taking him or what 
I think he is a viable option to give you effort, incredibly high impact special teams player. Um, and he does rush the passer well. He has good get off. He uses his hands pretty well. And like I said, if he just got a long arm bull rush, he turns into a dynamic pass rusher. So he's a weird player for me, but I do like him. So putting a bow on it, you're, it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that your North Star prospect in round one for the Ravens right now is Rashad Bateman, the golden gopher wide receiver. How many of these guys, and if the answer is none, the answer is none, how many of these guys would you be willing to take over Rashad Bateman in round one if the board falls that way? If we're completely ignoring, like as things stand before free agency and things like that, I would I would definitely consider, if I'm confident in Jalen Phillips' medicals, I like him incredibly, incredibly much so. Like I said, best pass rusher in this class, best rhythm, strings moves together, um, can can go all three phases. I don't think I got all the way through my notes on him. I love him. But him and Quiddy Pay, I think, are the only guys, if I'm comfortable in Phillips' medical evaluation, which we're never going to know, you and I are not going to know. The teams will that'll end up coming out right before or after he's picked or when he is not picked on day one. And like Terrell Lewis last year, I think the week before the draft, a guy that I thought the Ravens might realistically pick in the first round. Uh, I think Rappaport was like, Lewis, his, he's got red flags. He's dropping. No team is going to touch him in the first round. That is a, a certified Rappaport bomb. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. I don't know. That's the same thing with Phillips. The concussions are obviously concerning, but I can't evaluate the concussions. I can only evaluate the player. I see Joey Bosa. I see Miles Garrett. Um, I don't see the power of Miles Garrett, but I think it might be there a little bit. I don't think, like I said, Miami doesn't do those. But anyway, those two guys, Quiddy Pay and Jalen Phillips, if green-lighted by the Ravens medical staff, depending how free agency shakes out, things like that. If they get Corey Davis, I don't need Rashad Bateman. I might like him still just to overcompensate, but those two guys are the only two that I think I consider if all three are on the board for the Ravens at 27. Cool. So that I think is a really kind of interesting way that I was hoping to frame it. And I do think that uh, pay would be a guy that I would consider Phillips, probably the other one and maybe Russo, but I think Bateman, I would probably take over all those guys as things stand right now. Uh, last one, kind of a fun one. Who, who of these players would you want to have on the podcast? Hmm. I might, I might go Osai and try to get that fucking age out of him because this is bugging me now. We need to grill Joseph Osai. We need to sit him down in an interrogation room and ask him a couple questions. Why are you not long-arm bull rushing? How? What year were you born? How old are you? Who's the GOAT? Messi or Ronaldo? Messi or Ronaldo? Uh, let's go with... I would, I, I'm going to go with... I think I like that one. I like Jalen Phillips. And I think I want to interview Hamika Rashad Jr. because he is a big celebration guy. He is a big jump up and down, rah-rah guy. And those guys usually interview very well. Marcus Peters, great interviews, things like that. Uh, so I think those would be my my answers. I'm looking through who else here. The only human that I just want to say his name that we didn't say is Cameron Sample out of Tulane. Dominated the Senior Bowl. Has I try, Yeah, I tried to look him up. Not a lot of Tulane tape floating around there, on YouTube, he, unfortunately. Three-tech, five-tech, outside linebacker, uh, explosive, Almost like if Justin Matabuike was a little bit lighter and a little bit faster. I, I think those aren't terribly dissimilar guys, but those are all the names. We just mentioned a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of names. Um, there's a lot of names in this edge class. There's going to be a lot of edges drafted, I think, and more second, third, fourth round guys that I'm confident in than last year's class. So with that, we have 
our final four that we're going to narrow it down to for the vote, which is going to be going out to Twitter. So if you're listening to this right now, jump over to our Twitter page at Podcast Beat Down. I'm going to be putting a graph together and throwing it out for you guys to vote on the day of release of this episode. So if you're listening to this on the day of release or any day after, go out, check it out, and uh, vote on it. So without further ado, do we want to put Quiddy Pay on this board? I am not confident he is there at 27. If he's not, if if you're not, then I would say no, right? Yeah, let's let's skip Quiddy Pay. I'm willing to take. I'll, I'll, I'll think if Quiddy Pay is there at 27, I will have to have some sort of punishment that I will do on this podcast. Uh, but I don't think he's there at 27. I'm pretty confident in that. I want. I think I want Tryon on the list. Okay, put Tryon on there so that gets people hip to him because you think he's a great fit. I think it could be a good fit too. Kind of the sleeper sleeper type. Guy. Sleeper type pick. All right, let's put Tryon. Okay. Let's put Aziz Ajilari. He could be gone. I can see that the Titans are his most mocked place right now, I think, which makes sense. Um, see, I don't want to, I kind of don't want to put Jalen Phillips almost because we don't have his medicals and all that the listeners and other, a lot of people are going to be like, oh, well, no, I don't want the medical concerns. And it's like, all right, just put a, ca- a Luke Keekley collar on him. That, you, you love that thing. I love it. I think it was so sick. Shout out to us. Uh, he never had an issue again after that. Yeah, Sims and Lefko were all over that. Uh, I mean, recently? RIP. No, this was that show doesn't when exist happened. anymore. Yeah. Uh, Adam Lefko and Chris Sims, they used to have a podcast right, right, together right, right. at yeah, uh, yeah. BR. Yeah. And they were, they like broke that story on that Keekly was using that. So I, it's funny that you're like coming around to it now because I remember like they were talking about it a ton like years ago. Uh, he, he didn't miss a game after he put that on, I'm pretty sure. Explain what it is. It presses into. Uh, I can't remember which artery and that is supposed to increase blood flow to your brain and expand it out to like, so it doesn't rattle around. Yes. So that your brain will not have as much space to rattle around. And there's also supposed to be a couple other benefits to it, like oxygen intake, something like that. I can't remember, but uh, I'm please someone check me on this. I don't think Luke Keekley ever missed a game once he put that collar on, but that bitch was choking him. That thing chokes. Like, that is a kinky thing to wear on a I was going to say, field. yeah, are you going to be putting an order in here for non-athletic purposes, or what's going on? We'll see. We'll, we might we might order a couple, get get some glitter on those bad boys, and it's, see what we can do. Valentine's Day was last month, my man. Valentine's Day, Valentine's Day is every month. Yeah, yeah, I guess you are one of those guys, aren't you? I don't need a fucking holiday. <laughs> no, I love holidays. I'm a big holiday guy. Yeah, me too. But, um, yeah, so give Jalen Phillips. Let's do this. Let's put Jalen Phillips on there. And say that he is he's, your, he's the is, reek school. Let's say Jalen Phillips is green lighted. So please, and we'll put that on there as well. I'll tweet it a thousand times underneath of it. Jalen Phillips is green lighted. He has he's good to go. Oh, just like put a star and then put health at the bottom. Yes, but he. But we're pretending that he has been medically cleared by the Ravens. They are fully confident that he is not going to have problems with his concussions moving forward. So I've got him at A. I've got Aziz Ajulari at C, and Joe Tryon at D. So who's B? Not Quiddy Pay. That leaves us with the possibilities, I would say, of Russo, Osai, Roche, Roche, Pat Jones, Basham. Uh, Basham? Mm. I just, I hated Basham's senior year. I absolutely hated it. He only, do, he only swim moves. That's all he fucking does is push and swim move. Um, Jason Awa is a pr- pretty highly mocked guy. He had zero sacks. He is incredibly, 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 incredibly athletic. Uh, hmm. 
So that leaves us. Rousseau, I don't feel like Rousseau is an edge. What do you think he is? I think he's like Calais Campbell. Okay. I he, think did, he did line up inside like occasionally, right? Most of his pressure came as a nose on yeah. third down. Like he whooped center's asses. And that's what I didn't love his get off. And I don't, I think he's a good run defender. Mm. Rousseau. And I saw that there's the, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he basically compiles all of the mocks on the internet at one time and charts them in a, on a graph showing like aggregate where, yes, yeah. you've seen that probably yeah. mm-hmm. that guy, that guy's outstanding. And Rousseau has nosedived in the last like three weeks because I think people are seeing that 15 sack number and they're like, holy shit. But I did also see John Ledyard was comparing him to Charles Amenahue, someone I missed on very badly and was like, I hate Charles Amenahue as a prospect, blah, 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 blah. But he has versatility. He, whatever, whatever. I like that comparison for him very much so, but Charles Menehue is not an edge. Charles Menehue is like that tweener, move him up and down. And that I think that's what Russo has to be, but I think Wink would do that. Yeah, for sure. So should we just go with Russo? Yeah, I, I, I could definitely. You like Russo a lot. I do. You're I, better on Russo. I fucking, I fucking really like him. He's, the right, dude looks put like him on there. Thanos. Like, let's put him on there. Okay. He's huge. And he could have he could have developed a lot more. He was a red shirt. I think, is he a red shirt sophomore? If he's 21 years old, absolutely. So he played, he had three I didn't three watch years. quite enough games of him. I watched three, I want to say, and I really liked him. I think As a redshirt freshman, he recorded 15 and a half sacks. So, 20, he, so he is now a redshirt sophomore, which means he is... He's 20 years old. Right now, so he's going to be 21. He'll be 21 this season, yeah. Okay, let's put Russo on there. Okay. okay. The, the age considered, he is probably going to be a lot better. He was also a receiver in high school. He was not a defensive end. He's... He's he's a fucking beast. Like I understand like the concerns and like there's you kind of need to find a spot for him, but like he looks like See, you even Okay, so I can see your report on him. You said incredibly raw as a player needs to refine his actual pass rush moves. But let's consider this. You put him with Clayus Campbell, who openly and continuously cl- coached up Justin Mataboyke. Mm-hmm. And him and Brandon Williams and everyone, they were like smacking Justin Mataboyke's helmet all the time in training camp and like getting him fired up. I like Calais Campbell's influence on Greg Russo a lot. And I think Russo, the best part about him is that he is so long and he knows how to be long, how to activate that on a football field. So the long guys who don't know how to play long, like Miles Boykin being enormous and not knowing how to play enormous right now, that's a issue that I hate that pisses me off, but Russo does not have it that. It comes problem. down to like the spark guys. Like I, I'm a believer in just take the athlete and see if you can figure it out. And like that's not always the best thing to do in round one. But I feel like with a guy who is an athlete of his caliber, and I think he seems like a smart kid, and like he would plug in well with a lot of these veterans, like you're mentioning, and with Wink, I feel like it'd be a pretty good situation. He set the edge okay, pretty well, and he has the good length so that when things start to veer out to the boundary, he can kind of just get his arms out there and and play so long. Um, and the versatility as well. You can move them all around. Okay. Yeah, let's go with Russo. So that leaves us Agilari, Russo. Um, a Joe- through, so A through D, you have A, Jalen Phillips, B, Greg Russo, the Miami boys. Then you have C, Aziz Agilari, and D, Joe Tryon. The fact that Russo and Roche and Phillips, both, and wh- which is funny because R- Russo didn't play with Roche or with Phillips. It's, there, there's three guys. None of them play together. And, and like, they could all realistically. Roche could drop, I guess, because he is not a great athlete into like, I don't think he could make it out of the third round. That's just me. There are some people that 
on Twitter, like pretty reputable scout, whatever guys that write for websites or whatever dog him and are like, this is a day three player that is not going to see a football field. And I couldn't disagree more on that. Um, but it's just crazy to me that those three guys and then, and then Russo didn't play with either. It's very strange to me. I want Russo, Russo's measurements. I wish he had a combine so badly because if he has that length and plays with that length and has the production and tests into like good thresholds of 33 inch uh, long jump, I, he was a wide receiver. He probably has a freaking, maybe he's way more explosive than I realized. I'm going to go back and watch. That's where I talk about with workout warrior with him, where I just feel like if he were to get into the combine and just like show that length or length, if you're a length, if he guy, jumps well and that we will get his jumps out of Miami, if he jumps, those are not variable. Like I yeah, said, those, those are like, he is jumping a numbers. distance. There is no hand. There's no stopwatch. None of that involved. Then I'm, I'm in on Greg Russo. I will put that on his jumps. If he jumps 35 plus inches and has a 10 foot broad jump, I'm all over him. And that probably also means the Ravens might not be able to draft. Him. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like this might be a situation where he could fall because of a lack of that. And because of a lack of media buzz, which I feel like does push a lot of these guys up boards sometimes and through, you know, agents, obviously manipulating that and stuff, but I don't know, man, I, I like him a lot. And I like these other three guys that we have down as well. I think so. Overall, Russo, if he has a good pro day, might not be there. Phillips, if he gets medically cleared, might not be there. Ajilari, I would say is... He feels like he'll be right around that range. 20s. I think he goes in the 20s. Yep. And then Tryon, I could see realistically sneaking, maybe, you know, Chiefs at the very end of the first round as a replacement for Shaq Barrett, maybe, or... Somewhere around there. Maybe Packers, Ravens. Definitely second round worst case, I think, for Tryon. Um, I don't see him last until the third round. So some interesting options there. We are leaving Jason Awa out. I don't... Did you watch Awa? A little bit. It was kind of tough. Like, some of the... When you, like... (laughs) When you go on YouTube, like it can be, and I, I don't want to get on he's these guys. He's weirdly that, good against the run, but nah, I don't know. I don't he know. he got the game that I watched. He got washed out a couple times, and he was chasing guys down the sideline, like you said. But like it was grainy footage, and like I, I didn't want to like judge him too much based off that. So I, I did. I, I made an effort, but I feel like you're taking a prospect very much if you're taking Awa in the first round. You're taking a a guy that you think you are going to coach the crap out of very quickly. Which like a lot of people, maybe people will be talking themselves into that this year anyway. A lot of the time because of COVID. So who knows. Who knows? That's absolutely right. But that does it. Those are our four. That concludes our Edge episode. So we are going to post these on Instagram. We are going to post them on Twitter. After this episode airs, we will do it, I guess. Let's say we post the episode either tomorrow or Monday, likely, right? We're posting this on next Tuesday. This episode? This episode's coming out Tuesday. Mm -hmm. So then should we post? What if we give them a week? The day before the next episode comes out, that's when we post the poll. Okay. Does that make sense? That gives people time to go look at those I four. think about it, yeah. Okay. And then they can do that and then listen to the next episode. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So, th- so this will be posted on Tuesday. That means the polls on Instagram will be posted Monday on Twitter and on Instagram. Again, Jalen Phillips getting a medical green good to go. And those are our four. That was the Edge episode. We're going to come back and circle back on them. I think we'll circle back when we do mailbag episodes the following week sometimes and be like, hey, I watch more of this guy just for the record. So we'll do our rechecks a little bit on mailbag episodes the following week. Which is how it happens, and this is not like a super serious thing. We're not thing, done yet. We've still got time. I haven't watched enough Ronnie Perkins out of Oklahoma. I haven't watched – I want to rewatch Rousseau, like I said. I haven't watched enough of the Pittsburgh boys when I have access to a lot of their film. 
Um, so we're going to keep watching, guys. But right now, that's where we stand. And that's our Edge episode. It was a ton of fun, man. We went uh, hour and 20, so uh, we definitely got a lot of really good discussion in that. Uh, we are going to be sticking around here in the studio to do a mailbag episode, which uh, I guess we might as well let the cat out of the bag that we're going to be trying to do in person from here on out for the off season, recording once a week, but two episodes you're getting out of it. So we're so, doubling up. So we are doubling up. And then uh, if Orlando Brown gets traded or if what free agency happens and the Ravens are signing guys, you know, the first day, then the second day, then the third day, maybe, maybe every time they sign someone, we'll kind of do a draft every time yeah every time we'll we'll know when we see it it's gonna be like pornography with like news and signings and stuff like that we're yep. gonna we're gonna know when when the time to hop into the stew on or impromptu is so we'll definitely be doing that we got some interviews coming up and chatting with our buddy connor to get, hop back on at some point this coming month uh which is we always we'll have cole jackson formerly of russell street report a guy that we both love for offensive line content uh he'll be joining us in two weeks to go over offensive line i would like to have brad kelly for wide receivers I'm going to DM him as well. Um, so we'll, we'll try and get some more guys. Yeah. yeah Matt Waldman, good. hopefully at some point. Yeah, we're definitely going to get Matt back on. He's always a fun annual chat uh, come draft time. So this is a great time of year for the podcast. And uh, I think we're set to have our best year yet with it, uh, with this content plan that we have coming in. It's kind of a, a nice feeling uh, to, I feel like we, you know, there are points where we get comfortable with the pod and it's like, yeah, you know, we, we like what we're doing, but it's, it's good to not only shake things up, but I think shake it up with a plan and, uh, not only do that, but also bring sort of a fun kind of a, you know, a little little plan and kind of spice to it. I think hopping in the... I love in- that you've casually developed the Tony Romo into your actual... Oh, gee, I don't know. Like, I, it now, it's not even a joke anymore. Like, it has become part of your mannerisms. I, I think. think it might be... I might have picked it up from... I was telling you I was watching a little bit of Curb getting back into that Larry. Oh! <laughs> Curb rubs off. Yeah, I, I was. I watched a couple of seasons of Curb like a month ago. It rubs off on you. It does. So yeah, it's 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 been it's going to be a fun yeah. off season. And uh, we've like I said, we've brought a uh, some planning into it, but it's still going to be as fun as ever and uh, organic as ever and loose as ever. And uh, we're gonna gonna crush it. So this was a fun first voyeur into a uh, voyage. I should say voyeur is probably not the correct <laughs> terminology there. Uh, fun uh, fun. Absolutely flying off. Warriors are fun. Warriors are fun. They, well, listen, you know, I was just talking about Valentine's Day. We, we don't have to get into that. But fun uh, fun first voyage into the uh, positional episode, the beatdown big board, as it were. So Edge is uh, officially ticked off the list. And you guys are going to be voting on them. And we're going to be having the bracket at some point. But uh, in the meantime, thank you guys for listening. And uh, we're going to be, like I said, still in the studio dropping a uh, mailbag episode, the following Friday. So like if you're listening to this next Tuesday, we're going to have a mailbag episode on Friday for you coming, uh, just like we're going to be sticking in the studio to record one right now. So uh, without further ado, I guess we can throw it away from this. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Podcast Beatdown. I am at Jake Luke. Spencer is at Ravens for Dummies. Uh, follow us there. Follow us on Instagram at Baltimore underscore Beatdown to find that poll. Rate and subscribe to the show if you have not already. And check us out on YouTube as well. I'm uh, going to probably try and doctor up uh, the video episodes for these to make them a little more, uh, a little more spicy and uh, a little bit, uh, you know, kind of interactive, like we said as well. So, going to be a ton of fun, and we will talk to you guys at the end of the week. See ya. Peace. Arrivederci. All right. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you guys. See you later. All right, God bless. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs>